0: This podcast is offered by Black Mountain Zen on the web at blackmountainzen.org Our public offerings are made possible by the kind donations from people like you. Good morning. So for those of you who came uh, yesterday, I've been talking about the Paramitas, the the six wholesome qualities that support awakening. Uh, Maybe it hasn't seemed like that, but that's in my mind that's what it was. (laughs) Might come as a shock to the people who were listening to them. (laughs) So far we only covered two, Uh, generosity and uh, sila, the conduct that supports awakening and protects awakening. Then the others are patience, energy, abiding, and wisdom. So here's a story about patience. Several years ago, the Dalai Lama was giving a talk in San Francisco, and I was going to that talk, and for reasons I can't remember, I was a little late, and I was crossing through this parking lot to get to the hall where the talk was, and who did I run into? the Dalai Lama, and he was also going across the parking lot to get to the talk. And, of course, I realized, well, if I'm with the Dalai Lama, I don't have to rush to get to the Dalai Lama. (laughs) And We were walking along, and there was kind of a, I don't know, maybe four or something security guards. It was a time where there was a kind of a rumor that uh, some Chinese nationalists were out to kill him. Anyway, we were walking along with this uh, phalanx of guards, and then across the parking lot, this guy said something incomprehensible, except that it was agitated and angry and all the guards stiffened. And the Dalai Lama uh, looked over at him quizzically and said, sorry, I couldn't hear you. Could you come closer? And and then he beckoned him, closer, closer, until he was right beside him. And he said, what do you want to say? And by that time, Whatever the heck was bothering the guy when he was over there, when he got here, <laughs> he was all smiles. <laughs> and, uh, and the Dalai Lama said something like, Well, nice to meet you. Uh, excuse me, I have to go, there's people in there waiting. but 2,000 of them. <laughs> And and we sauntered off into the, the hall and in his usual unflappable way. You know, he's really struck, you know. Uh, do you have to be the Dalai Lama to always just be who you already are? Do you have to be the Dalai Lama to experience the experience you're already experiencing? Uh, Do you have to be the Dalai Lama to uh, witness apparent hostility or agitation, or distress, or some mysterious mix of them all, and say, come closer. You know, I can't remember a single word he said during the talk. I'm sure it was terrific. But I remember meeting him in the parking lot in his unflappable presence. You know, last night, during the last period, I was offering this guided meditation, just as it says in the Heart Sutra, you know, experience the five skandhas just as they appear as momentary existence. I mean, of course, it's enough of a challenge in the sacredness of sashin to just be with the body, the breath, the light, the sound, the mind, and and let it be a kind of spacious interplay of phenomena. I hope something of that was apparent. maybe your own little bit of Dalai Lama. Um, And then how do we carry that out into the parking lot? How do we carry that into the um, the complications of our own psychological makeup? How do we carry that out into the complications of our relationships, you know? You know, our family, our work relationships, casual occurrences in parking lots. Can we learn something in our sitting that's ridiculously straightforward? Just be where you already are. Just experience what you're already experiencing. Yeah. And I think because it's so ridiculously simple. That's part of why it's so kind of ephemeral and challenging. And, and this is the territory of Kashanti, patience. Yeah. There was a, a cartoon in The New Yorker, and it's two dogs. And the older dog says to the younger dog, "There's just one teaching about Buddhism. And he says, "Stay." Like <laughs> 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 there's just one teaching about patience. you know, stay where you are, stay experiencing what you're experiencing. Okay, so you're late for a great talk by the Dalai Lama, but you're walking across the parking lot, that's what you're doing. And if somebody yells at you, somebody yells at you. And if you bump into the Dalai Lama, you bump into the Dalai Lama. Uh, and how something in our uh, humanness sort of takes now and and thinks, well, you know, this could be better. It would be an awful lot easier to stay right here if some of this was away and some other ingredients were in its place. Yeah. And can we stay with that too? Yeah. This, this is the, the nature of our human lives. I don't know if it's so grand that we can call it divine discontent, but there's certainly a, each of us has our own flavor of discontent or hesitancy about staying. In part of the journey, the inward journey of Zazen is exploring as thoroughly as possible the um, the hesitancy in our body and our breath, in our disposition to just opening fully to now. Mm -hmm. And when we attempt that one of the things you discover it, it requires patience. It's like that, that hesitancy is like woven into the fabric of who we are. I've had the good fortune on a couple of times to spend some time with the Dalai Lama and you know, he makes the whole thing look incredibly simple. And then you hear, well, every day of his life, no matter where he is, no matter what's going on, he gets up at 4 a.m. and does four hours of practice. That's his magic secret. (laughs) Start the day with four hours of practice. (laughs) Um... And apparently, wherever he is and whatever he's doing, come 8 o'clock at night, he's done. <laughs> he clocks out. <laughs> but just the same way, Zazen, you know, we explore. The, the absurd simplicity of staying present and the endless challenge of staying present. Mm. And, it, and as we do that, it can teach us in so many ways. Yeah. We can see the mind that puts that hesitancy, that discontent, outside of ourselves. That person, that situation is the source of agitation. And of course, that's a wonderful relief, because now it's not me, it's somebody else, so I can relax. But still, it's me that's agitated. And then the teaching of the Heart Sutra saying, well, it's all just an ephemeral construct of the moment. Which, you know, from the wisdom teaching of emptiness, of shunyata, that, that is what it is. And as we sit, you know, those two worlds intertwine the the persistent uh, character of our human conditioning and the, the very nature that existence just comes and goes. I saw this book of poetry by Billy Collins. As many of you know, I'm always on the lookout for good poems to make a bad talk seem palatable. <laughs> and a book of poems was called The Art of Drowning, and I thought, well, that is just a great idea. It must be a lovely book of poems. And so I turned to The Art of Drowning, and. Uh, And he says in it, you know, it's a long poem, fairly long, and he gets down to the last stanza and he says, all that flashing before your eyes as you drowned, it's probably just a fish. (laughs) (laughs) He had no great insights. Um, The reason it appealed to me, you know, we're always... Well, maybe not always, but a lot of the time, we're immersed in the world according to me. You know, we're swimming in it. <clears throat> we're swimming across the parking lot towards this the hall where the great Dalai Lama is going to elucidate the path of liberation. And maybe we're in such a hurry or such a state of urgency that we uh, don't see the Dalai Lamas walking beside us. Except he happens to be an exceptional, friendly person and is very quick to just say hello. Uh. So how do we do that? How do we swim in the stuff of what we are in the world as it's appearing and arising? How do we swim in it that both reveals the elemental nature of existence and reveals the stuff of... um, so called me. You know? And and patience is a great help with this. You know? Maybe we could say one of the first qualities of patience is stay. And in a way, stay is like a willingness to suffer. If you're late for the talk to the Dalai Lama, guess what? You're late. There you go. Just be late. You know? I mean, it doesn't mean don't walk towards the door uh, in a purposeful way. Something more like let yourself feel what it's like to be late. You know, whether you're agitated, distressed, resentful for somebody else making you light or whatever, that's how it is. Just experience the experience you're experiencing. Yeah. It's almost like a willingness to suffer. But I would say it's it a little bit sour, you yeah. There's a poem by Wallace Stevens called The Snowman, and he says, you know, you, you just, you suffer. He, he says it very elegantly, which I don't remember the words, but you you suffer the hardship of winter because that's what's happening. And then he ends it by saying, and in that, in being the moment, You experience nothing that isn't there. No. All the stories you have about it, um, not don't, you don't drown in them. You just see them for what they are. Okay. I'm walking across the parking lot, and this is what's going on. Or whenever those moments arise, you know, where your impatience, however it might come up, you know, whether it comes up as anxiety, distress, resentment, fear, whatever your own particular um, flavor. Can you stay there with that? Can you stay present in Zazen and experience the complexity of being alive? And the simplicity. The murmuring voices of two of the kitchen workers Having a fag on their morning break. That's how it is. There's a whole second talk I can tell you. <laughs> it's what? There's a whole second talk I can tell you. We're going to take our talks here. Hmm. So this, so Wallace Stevens says, stay so thoroughly that you're immersed in now, that you're immersed in what is. There's nothing that isn't here. You know, there's no part of you that wants to project itself head into the auditorium. I mean... Wouldn't it be wonderful if the Dalai Lama always appeared beside us and then we could think, I can relax. I don't have to rush to the Dalai Lama when he's right beside me. And then he says, the nothing that isn't here and the nothing that is. This... A mysterious and wonderful aspect of practice that um, when we're fully present for it, um, we see it for what it is. Oh, I'm anxious. Oh, I'm constructing the notion that I need to be somewhere where I'm not. And whatever else, I'm constructing along with that. And if we're not here, we miss it. We're fooled by the construct. And when we're here, we, we, we see it. We feel it. we we notice the impact it has on us, you know, what it does to our mind, what it does to our body, what it does to our sense of time and space. So this quality of a willingness to suffer, and, and then there's also an even fiercer quality which is a willingness to endure. Okay, this is how it is. You know, This is how it is between here in the parking lot and the door of the auditorium. I mean, and then as if that wasn't bad enough, some eejit across the parking lot has to yell at you. even more to endure and of course part of what we have to endure is our own agitated response to someone else expressing their being (laughs) I yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh, that we could all have the Dalai Lama walk beside us and say, I'll take this one. What do you want? <laughs> Come over. <laughs> Tell me. Are you okay? Room. He literally disarmed him with casual kindness. Can you offer that to yourself? <laughs> uh, so so the as as we stay as we endure there's a kind of Redemption. And and it's not the product of righteousness or um, control. It's just uh, something that comes out of being present and honest about what's happening. Sure, aren't we all like that at times? Shouting out our distress as agitation about something. For God's sake, look at that. That's awful. And is it more painful to think it's somebody else's fault or is it more painful to think it's our own? Mm. And as we sit in that mind, that state of being comes up, either in blatant technicolor or just some kind of subtle tension in your body or in your breath or in your mind. No? Can there be a generous engagement with it? Like a redemption, you no? Okay. That's how it is. Come closer and tell me. Come closer. Let me feel it more thoroughly. In some ways, it's close to forgiveness. And then in another way, Um, It's almost like more mysterious. There's nasty things in our past that are that are like a stone in our shoe. Uh, It's like as we move forward, they we feel their hurt. And, and then as we open to what they're presenting, um, it's not only that there's reconciliation with that. There's a kind of redemption, like our past becomes a better past. Yeah. Isn't that the way life is? Wasn't that just how it was back then? So many things coming into play made me say that, made them do that. Why is communication so difficult? And it it sort of makes space for a generosity. Mm. It's like what asks something of us, like what asks us to be patient, what asks us to... uh, stay present for what we didn't want or what we don't want. You know, it asks something of us and it gives us something. It gives us this, um, it, it makes evident what it is to not just hold your breath until the world finally falls into place the way you want it to. You know, you're gonna be holding your breath a long time. (laughs) You're gonna be holding back your happiness. You're gonna be holding back uh, your impulse to be fully alive. And so what would it be like to sit like that? Okay, I'm gonna sit in this conditioned existence that I casually call me, is gonna display all its amazing attributes. And some of them are gonna be quite painful and difficult and I'm gonna stay. And and when they create an impulse to contract, resist, project out onto somebody else, I'm going to experience the experience that's being experienced. I'm gonna breathe in the next breath. I'm gonna let the mind, the heart, the belly soften. I'm gonna stay upright and awake and open. And the interesting thing is just the attitude. starts to cultivate, accumulate, being present. That elusive goal of all Zen students That funny paradox, when something in it says, okay, this is one big bloody mess, and I'm just going to stay present in the middle, it's like, hmm, this is not so bad. (laughs) So they had their fag, they had their little chat, and they went back to work. silence that can be heard. But the funny thing that the disturbance, so-called disturbance, makes the stillness more evident, you know, the noise makes the silence available. that such is the nature of the human existence, is that we experience the contraction and it teaches us something about liberation. It's a very fact that something is asked of us that we learn how to give. give attention, give, uh, in a way, give of ourselves. You know, that human impulse to create a separate entity. And then life is asking something of us, and as we give it the interconnectedness of existence is experienced. In in how many times, in how many ways, do we have to experience that before something in us um, starts to believe it? So after patience and the structure, holding the structure of practice, after generosity, holding the structure of practice, patience. What happens when you stay present with who you are? All sorts of stuff. And then interestingly, That gives rise to um, the next paramita, uh, is energy. It's like it takes energy to hold separate. It takes energy to stay resentful or disapproving. or to feel betrayed, or hurt, or beleaguered by random aggressive people in parking lots. And if something softens, uh, that energy has the opportunity to flow. So when I gave up on Billy Collins' poem, The Art of Drowning, uh, I decided to go for, instead, Amelia Earhart's poem on courage. I like it because it's kind of punchy, you know. Billy Collins sort of rambled through that one. I like the straightforward declaration like this, courage is the price that life exacts for granting peace no there you go pithy direct you want the answer here it is no courage is the price that life exacts for granting peace is there courage and patience Hmm. Is there courage in living the life you're already living? Is there courage in experiencing the experience you're already experiencing? seems to me there is, but I think it's a personal equation for each one of us to explore. How can life grant us boon of living commensurate with the dull gray ugliness and pregnant hate unless we dare each time we make a choice to bring forth courage to behold the resistless day and count it fair with courage to behold the resistless day hmm. i think we can do most of us can do a good job of resisting It's one of our special skills. But that equation of how we engage. And then if we think of patience, it's not, oh, well, okay. Since I don't have an option, I'll uh, reluctantly (laughs) Endure, but what if we thought of it as uh, this odd equation of that it asks something of us, and when we give it, something's revealed. No. When your no changes to yes. Something uh, is revealed about living. Something's revealed about what it is to open the clenched fist and let something be received as a gift. When we stop resisting the body opens and the breath flows. One of the marvelous things about zazen is that it gets underneath our thinking process. No. We, we, we start to engage more viscerally in our own being. And then for each of us to pay attention and notice and acknowledge the, the peculiar workings that have become part of our patterns of relating. I don't get annoyed when they're having a fag on their break but see, these workmen with their tools oh, drives me up the ball, or vice versa, or neither of those but something else. So when we turn towards it, um, that mysterious redemption, that way in which some knot is untied, that way in which something that's being held separate becomes integrated. Maybe we can try to figure these things out, but really, um, fortunately for us, they don't operate simply in the realm of ideas. There's something more passionate going on in our being. There's a Japanese saying that a trouble endured for 10 years becomes a treasure. (laughs) See, we'll we'll just track the time, (laughs) okay, nine years and 11 months to go, (laughs) yeah, but maybe not the treasure we thought we were going to get. (laughs) Uh, but patience, it, it, it's, it's like it's this radical shift. And maybe in one way it looks like it's a recipe for passivity, but actually uh, I would say as Amelia Earhart does, it has its courage, you know, it, it has its, its willingness and it's eagerness to be more fully alive. How, How can we move forward if we don't forgive the past? But maybe I will read Amelia Earhart again. Find what I do with it. Courage. Courage is the price that life exacts for granting peace. I skipped over this part because I didn't want to use the word soul. The soul that knows it not knows no release from little things, knows not the vivid the livid loneliness of fear, nor mountain heights where joy can be heard in the sound of wings. How can life grant us the boon of living, commensurate with dull gray ugliness and pregnant hate, unless we dare, each time we make a choice to, pray, to pay with courage, to behold the resistless day, and count it fair. And then she flew off into the sunset. Mm. Okay. Thank you.